Now join us for our teaching series, Greater Than, a study on Hebrews 1 through 10. We're so glad you are here with us today. My name is Joe. I serve as one of the pastors here at Riverbend, and I'm just so grateful for the opportunity for the first time in 2021 to be able to teach God's Word. What a privilege that is. But also, it's been a long time with not being able to do so, so I'm grateful for the opportunity. But I'm also grateful for the communicators that we have throughout the church, both with our teaching team and our writing team. They both have done an incredible job to provide content that points us to Jesus through looking at God's Word. Can we just give it up for them? We're just grateful for you. Yes, thank you for everything that you've done in this season and in beyond just this season as well and, and providing content that helps point people to Christ. We're just so grateful for you. Grateful again to be here with you this morning sharing from God's Word as we continue our teaching series called Greater Than, which is a study on the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews. Well, today is Sunday, February 14th, and so I've got a question for you. Do you know what today is? Beyond Sunday, February 14th, what's the holiday today? Maybe you're kind of thinking, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Let me help you out. Today is Valentine's Day, or should I say Valentine's Day, right? Day of love, day of love. And you know, when we think about Valentine's Day, there's all kinds of ways in which we view this holiday. For some of us, we think about the childhood that we had and the innocence of it, especially if you have your own children. Now you see them riding their Valentine's out to their classmates or their friends, and it's so sweet and it's so cute. Maybe they're having a Valentine's Day party, right? A lot of excitement around this time of year for the kids. They get candy as well, which they always get excited about uh, as well. And, and then there's growing into who we become as far as this holiday is concerned with even hanging out with friends maybe during Valentine's Day and then significant others during Valentine's Day as well. And, and the, the truth of the matter is we, we all have some fond memories of Valentine's Day, but some of us have horror stories around Valentine's Day. We think it's just overly commercialized, some of us. We're like, ah, Valentine's Day. Why do you have a holiday to express something you should be expressing all year long? And no matter how you feel about it, here's what Valentine's Day reveals to us. It's the, the reality that we all want to be somebody else's valentine. We want to be somebody else's valentine. We want them to be our valentine. Another way to say that is we want to experience love. We want to experience love. We, we really do. We're all wanting that and desirous of that. And as you think about that idea, and as you consider what that looks like, no matter how you view Valentine's Day, Here's a truth that I want us to just hold on to as we are continuing in this teaching series, and it's this, that we are created for covenantal love. We are created for covenantal love. And a covenantal love is a love that says, hey, I'm with you to the end. I'm not giving up on this relationship. I'm with you to the end. See, you and I, we crave that type of love. We crave that type of relationship that loves you when you're at your best, but also loves you when you're at your worst. This is covenantal love. See, we are created 
for covenantal love. And as I think about a covenant that I made 17 years ago, January 3rd, Amy and I just celebrated 17 years of marriage, I'm reminded of what covenantal love does. Covenantal love reminds not only us of our love for each other, but our love before God, that we're going to experience the highs and the lows together. We're going to be with each other in sickness and in health, and we've experienced all kinds of things together. Even in this season, when, when Amy got COVID and, and her mom got COVID and, and me having to, to lean in to that part of our family to help out and to lead us as they were not able to do it, you know, and, and that's part of what covenantal love does. It, it also gives forgiveness and grace as we're all in process and on the journey to becoming who we're intended to become. A covenant says, hey, I'm with you to the end. I'm not quitting on you. I'm not giving up on you. Again, celebrates the the successes, and it has faith even in the midst of failures because forgiveness and love and truth is what's leading a covenantal love before God and to the other as well. And so we want that. We want that. I'm so grateful for the gift. Of, of, of my wife, Amy. And, and again, it hasn't been perfect and we haven't been perfect in it, but that's what a covenant does. It reminds you, even when you fall short, even when you fall short, you're still loved, you're still valued, you're still seen, you're still a person that they want to spend their life with. And that's what covenantal love does. But here's the truth, though. We are created for covenantal love, but we settle for contractual love. We're created for covenantal love. You and I, we're created for that. But we settle for contractual love, which is really an imposter of covenantal love. And and the difference between covenantal love and contractual love is the idea of covenantal love says, hey, I'm, I'm with you to the end. Contractual love says, hey, whenever you drop the ball or don't do it the way I thought you should do it or we agreed upon this, it's over. It's ended. Our relationship is over. And it's the difference between a marriage and dating relationships, right? Dating relationships, it can be like, you know what? This is great. This is fun. But we're going down two different paths. You know what? This has been fun, but I think it's best that we go our separate ways. No no hard feelings, maybe, hopefully, right? But a covenant of love says, no, I'm not quitting on you. I'm not giving up on you. It's a love that's growing and deepening for that other person. And in our culture, we know so well about contractual love because it's about what I want, how I want it, when I want it. It's on my terms. And I'm not talking about healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries are important in relationships. But I'm talking about at any turn when we don't get it the way we want it, we're, da- we're out. We're out of there. And yet, as we look at this book, the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1 through 10, we're seeing This idea that Jesus is greater than it all. Jesus is greater than our vision of even love itself. And he gives us something that we are created for and in desperate need of. And that is a covenant. One that says, hey, I will not give up on you. I will be with you to the end. And we know that we have a God who is is in the business of making and keeping covenants. And I'm so grateful as you read through both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you see a variety of covenants given. But then there's this covenant that isn't just between a person or a group of people, 
but is now for all people through Christ Jesus himself. And what we're going to see as we make our way through Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10 these next couple of weeks is we're going to see the power, the power that Christ has to see a covenant established and what this covenant is, how he doesn't see us in the terms of contractual love, but with covenantal love. And as we work our way through it, it's important that we understand that this author is connecting the dots for what the people would know. These Jewish Christians, these Hebrew followers of Jesus, those who grew up with a Jewish understanding and background, he's connecting the dots for them to understand how Jesus is greater than it all. He's helping them to understand that. And the teaching team has done an incredible job helping to lay that out for us. But it's important we don't miss that because as we go through it today, we're going to read some of this stuff and we're like, what does this have to do with covenantal love? And I want you to stay with me as we go through it. And next week, we're going to see what the new covenant actually is. We're going to see the author of Hebrews lay that out. But today, I want to really help us to understand who Jesus is and his role in establishing covenantal love and not contractual love with us. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 7. And as we go through Hebrews chapter 7 today, we're going to jump around a little bit and partly that this is so we can get the picture of what the author is communicating and understanding and beginning to lay the groundwork for this idea of covenantal love. Listen to what it says here. It says, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means, what does it mean? King of righteousness. Then also, King of Salem means what? King of peace. Say that with me. King of righteousness, King of peace. King of righteousness, King of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, as you hear this character, Melchizedek, it it, it seems like, the equivalent of what has gone on with Disney Plus, like characters like WandaVision. <laughs> like out of nowhere, they show up and you're like, what in the world? Who is this this person? And the way the author of Hebrews describes Melchizedek, and, and Mike to some did a great job of even helping us to start understanding who he was a couple of weeks ago. You start wondering, like, what is his story? What's the backdrop? This guy seems like a superhero almost, right? Like he comes from another galaxy and, and shows up right here. In Hebrews chapter 7, and as we see him in Genesis and in Psalms, we're, we're trying to make sense of what is the author getting at. Well, the author is saying, hey, listen, when you look at who Melchizedek is, he didn't come, and we'll see this in a moment, he didn't come from the priesthood line. He didn't come from the Levitical line. He didn't come from Aaron's descendants. This was predating what Moses and Aaron would lay out. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, before there was this Levitical law, there was this Mosaic covenant, there was Abraham. And there was this priest named Melchizedek. But Melchizedek wasn't just a priest, he was a king. Again, king of righteousness and king of peace. And he's saying, we don't know a lot of information about him. We don't know exactly all the details of his life, and this is what he's laying out for them. And he's not saying he didn't have a mother and father, and he's not saying he doesn't have a genealogy. He's saying, hey, we don't have that information. 
And he's saying in a lot of ways, it's a foreshadowing of who this Jesus is, this more perfect version of Melchizedek, this better priest than Aaron himself, this one who's both priestly and kingly, this one who provides righteousness for us, makes us right with God, and allows us to join God in seeing things made right, and also brings this peace, this peace that we need because we are enemies of God, and not only are we enemies of God, but even within ourselves, there's this deep brokenness within us. There's this longing to be made whole and right. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, Jesus is the more perfect and better version of Melchizedek. And he comes like Melchizedek came. And he comes from that line. He's coming as a priest that is far superior than any priest that's ever been. And he's trying to really help the authors. The author's trying to really help the people uh, that are hearing this to understand that, to understand how Jesus fits in to the story. Because they're like having a hard time really wrestling. Hey, there's a new covenant. There's a new way of of relating to God through Jesus. What about the, the priest? What about... The Mosaic Law, how does that all fit together? And this author is helping point them towards who this Jesus is and what he's come to do, how he's this superior priest. And it says this, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek. Not in the order of Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. And what is he saying? He's saying, listen, if we somehow, if we somehow could have attained being made fully right by the law, if if that could have been accomplished, if we could have lived up to the standard of the law, then, then why, why was there another priest that had to come? Why is that? From the line of Melchizedek. And he's pointing out, hey, we're in a, we have an inability to keep God's perfect standard. And so God had to make another way. And the way that he made was to send someone, his own son, God in flesh, from the line of Melchizedek. This one who would bring about this change. And this change that he would bring about and this way in which he would go about doing things is to say, hey, you know what? I'm establishing a new covenant, and in my new covenant, I'm able to fulfill the requirements of the law. He didn't abolish the law, but he said, hey, instead of this sacrificial system that you've come familiar with, that you would have to do year after year, day after day, that the priest would have to offer for themselves, the superior priest in Jesus was going to be the sacrifice that would be once and for all, for all people, for all time. And he wouldn't need to sacrifice for himself, but instead would sacrifice himself for us. And that's when Jesus would say from the cross, it is finished. It is finished. He wasn't finished in our lives. He wasn't finished working, but it is finished. In other words, the requirement of the law has been fulfilled in Jesus and what he's come to do. And so he's really making a case for them to understand more fully who this Jesus is. And he goes on, he says, he of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, And no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah. And in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priest. In other words, this is a more 
perfect priest. This is the perfect priest. He's come from the line of Judah. He didn't come from the line of Moses. And he's really making the case. He's helping them to understand the connection points. This reality that this Jesus, again, is this more perfect priest and king in the way he rules and he reigns in our lives. And it goes on to say this, and what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a, of, of a regulations or of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And he's saying, listen, before the, it was about regulation and ancestry as far as the Levitical priesthood, but this one, this one who's come in, in the likeness of Melchizedek has something that no priest has ever had, and that is the power of an indestructible life. Jesus has this indestructible life. He experienced everything that you and I experienced. He came in in flesh, was tempted and tried, and didn't give in to those temptations. And through his temptation victory, it would lead him to give himself over to death. He would be murdered on the cross, though he had done nothing wrong. And then he would be buried. And then three days later, he would be raised from dead and appear to many witnesses and then ascend into heaven. And one day he's going to return. In other words, he has an indestructible life. He has something that you and I long for. We want this indestructible life. But the power that Jesus has is that his life knows no end. Yes, he experienced death. But in him is the power of life and death. In him is the hope of the resurrection. In him is our living hope, as Jesse said so well last week. And then it goes on to say this, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect. And our better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. A better hope is introduced. Say that with me. A better hope is introduced. This is a better hope because our inability to not only keep the law, but really to understand more fully that we were broken and in need of what we could not do for ourselves. There's a better hope. There's a confidence that we can hold on to, that we can rest assured in when it comes to understanding this covenant of love that God has for us. And then it goes on to say this. It says, and it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. You are a priest forever. And this is speaking to the reality of who Jesus is, the foreshadowing and the fulfilling of what Jesus would do for us. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor. I love this. The guarantor of a better covenant. Because of this oath, because of this promise, because of this covenant, because of what Jesus would do for us, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. And as you think about this, this is so important for us to, to embrace and to get our arms around. He's the guarantor of this better covenant. He does that on our behalf. In other words, you can take it to the bank 
that this is what's going to happen. It would be like the equivalent of, of me saying, now knowing what I know, Tampa Bay is going to own the Kansas City Chiefs on the Super Bowl. It's a guarantee, right? And and I know that now, but if I had put money on it and it, and it happened, we'd be like, wow, that was a guarantee. It, it happened. You had confidence it was going to accomplish, be accomplished, and it did. And it happened that way. But in this in this sense, Jesus, Jesus is not only laying down his confidence that his heavenly father is going to make a way through himself, but also that Jesus is the one that accomplishes it. He's the guarantor of the better covenant. He's the one that allows this covenant to happen because in him we have this priestly, priestly high priest that goes in our behalf, but we also have in him this king that's above all kings. It's King Jesus. Well, he goes on to say these words. He says, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. In other words, death took them away. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so as you think about what this is saying, he's saying, hey, the priests come and go. They don't live on forever. But Jesus, his priesthood goes on forever and ever and ever. It knows no end. And not only does it not know an end, he's the one that saves us completely. From that part that you're like, wow, He'll never be able to touch this part of my life. No, no, no. He saves you surely. He saves you from the depths of of who you are, every part of you, every part of you. And when it says he intercedes for you, it's the idea that not only does he stand in the gap and make intercession for you, but it's as the author, author of Gentle and Lowly says when he talks about this passage, it says if he hits the refresh button on our browser to remind us again and again of the great love that we have received in Christ because of the covenant that's been made on our behalf from him, our faith and our trust in him. And it's to remind us, and as he stands before the Father, not that the Father ever doubts his love for us, but they talk about the love and the righteousness that we have received, the peace that is ours because of Christ. But he always lives to intercede for them. He's interceding right now for you. You know, this season's been really heavy and hard and difficult. You know, my, my son Ray had his third COVID test this, this last week. And, and snow keeps changing our plans. And, and all of a sudden, even at the preschool that he goes to, their heat went. So he hasn't been in preschool all week because they're waiting for this part. And, you know, as you think about all those little nuisances and as they add up and you continue having to pivot and adjust, there's one I want you to know who intercedes for us, who intercedes on our behalf, who reminds us afresh and anew who we are and what he has done for us and the power that we have in the one who's lived this indestructible life. It's this Jesus who loves us from the depths of who we are, from every part of who we are. Our successes, our failures, those things that we wish no one else would ever know. He knows and he doesn't run away from them. He runs to them. 
and says, I want you to know I've saved you completely. Salvation is found in me. Well, then he goes on to say this, such a high priest truly meets our need. He truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. What a powerful description of Jesus. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. And really, when you look at what is said here, and there's a lot there, the bottom line is we need to know that there's one who sacrificed once and for all for us. He doesn't see us in light of a contract, but in a covenant. He is the means by which the covenant is made. He is the guarantee, guarantor of that covenant. He's the one who saves us assuredly. The depths of who we are, every part of us, this Jesus. So as we consider what's been said here, I want you to just take for a moment these words that we looked at from the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 7 and just hold on to this reality that Christ is the giver and keeper of his covenantal love for us. Christ is the giver and the keeper of his covenantal love for us. And this is so important we don't miss. And the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 8 says this, or excuse me, chapter 7, again and again says that. You, you get this, this idea that this perfect high priest who lives this indestructible life, who's holy and blameless and set apart and above the heavens, once and for all, he's dealt with all parts of who we are, our brokenness, our sin, all the things that we wish were different. Once and for all, we have this assurance of who he is. And the, 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 the hope and, and the confidence that he's going to one day make all things right. But again, Christ is the giver and keeper of his covenantal love for us. See, in Jesus, we are made righteous. We are made righteous and have peace. And have peace. See, we are made righteous, which is speaking to this priestly role of, of Jesus. And then this having peace is this kingly role. That in him... In him, just as it was spoken of Melchizedek, Melchizedek was both a priest and a king, and so Jesus is a priest and a king. And when we let him have leadership in our lives, as we trust in him, we are made right because of our faith and our trust in who he is, the one who perfectly endured and went before us. He's got this priestly role in our lives. Once and for all, right? We, we heard that. But then this kingly role, that there's this peace that he wants to give us. But we can't have peace without being made right with God. We can't give peace to others when we don't understand how being made right with God allows us to have peace with who we are in him, but then to have peace with the people around us, to bring his shalom home wherever we go, wherever we go. And the shalom that he brings is this idea of wholeness and to bring about his goodness 
in our own lives, but wherever we go, we join him in that. So again, in Jesus, we are made righteous and have peace. Tim Keller said it so well. He says the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And you've heard me say this quote before, but it's important that we don't miss this because the gospel isn't, hey, we've got to get our act together or, hey, we, we, we've, we've got it going on. No, no, the gospel is acknowledging, no, we are sinful and flawed in ourselves more than we could ever dare to believe. Like, that's the truth. Yet, at this very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And this is what the book of Hebrews is showing us, that he's even greater, he's greater than our sinfulness because he's the one that is the guarantor of this covenant. He's the one that allows us to experience the full measure of God's love for us and the acceptance that is found in him. And so here's a question. Do you live as if God would love you less or, or more based on how you perform? Do you live as if God would love you less or more based on how you perform? Are we caught up in this performance-based thinking, or are we caught up in the perfect priest, Jesus, who's made a way, who loves us completely and perfectly and fully? Here's another question for you. Why do you live as if God would love you less or more based on how you perform? What's at the root of that? I want you to think about that this week. So so do you live as he's going to love you less or more based on how you perform? And why is that? Why is that? What's beneath that? What's beneath that? Because we need to be able to address that. We've read very clearly today that Jesus has this indestructible life. He's the guarantor of this covenant. He's brought about something new. And we're going to see that even as we continue to progress through Hebrews. But why do you live like that? Why do I live like that? What's in our story that causes us to believe that? What have we been been brought up to believe or what is it that we've experienced that causes that belief system to be there and here's a question for you too how could you daily bring awareness to christ covenantal love for you and others how could you do that how could you bring awareness that maybe you're going to read back through hebrew 7 maybe maybe for you you're going to hold on to a passage of scripture, or maybe there's a song that reminds you of this covenantal love that he has for you. But you need to bring awareness to this. You need to be pointing others towards this covenantal love for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, I want you to know he wants covenantal love with you. He's made a way for us to have a covenantal relationship with God, but it requires our faith and trust in him. And he's inviting us into that. Now, as we think about covenantal love, and as we think about Christ's covenantal love for us, I think it's important to note that there's a difference between God accepting us and loving us and approving of everything that we do. And and let me tell you what this looks like in my own family right now. I have a four-year-old son who's about to be five. His name's Ray. He's a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun. He's He's got so much energy and brings so much joy. He loves to jump. He loves to dance. He likes to sing. He loves all these types of things. We have this thing right now 
<clears throat> where he's doing this jumping thing with me, where he says, hey, Dad, let's do, let's do this catching. Let's do catching. And really what that means is, hey, let's go to the guest bedroom. Let's get on the bed. He's going to leap off the bed into my arms, and then I'm going to throw him up in the air. <laughs> and we have so much fun doing that. I mean, he is tenacious with it. He is tenacious with it. And it's so much fun because we're building these memories together. But in the midst of that, there are times where he gets a little, like, nervous. He's like, Daddy, I don't know if I can, I can, I can jump into your arms from this, this far away or far apart. And I say to him, hey, Ray, when have I dropped you? When have I dropped you? And I'm reminding him of, of my love for him. Hey, I'm going to catch you. I'm going to be there. I'm going to walk with you. And even when I, I fall short, I'm going to come to you and acknowledge, hey, I've fallen short. But you can trust my love for you. And so there's this deep bond that I have with my son because he's my son and I'm his father. But then there's another side of Ray where he gets really upset pretty easily. And sometimes he has a hard time expressing and articulating what's going on. And sometimes he'll do things where he'll slam doors or throw things and all kinds of things that four-year-old boys do. And I'm sure your child has its own way, uh, their own way in which they deal with those types of things. And so there's times where he'll do that and I'll have to go to him and be direct and say, hey, I love you, but this is not okay. I, I, I love you, son, but I do not approve of what you're doing. I'm disappointed and upset with you right now that you're choosing to do this. And he'll cry at times, and, and then we'll hug it out, and I'll be like, hey, hey, I just want you to know that was not okay, but I love you, and I forgive you. And we'll ask for forgiveness. I forgive you. You're always my son. I don't want you to run away from what you've done. I want us to talk about it. I want us to go together and covenantal love, which we have, and look at it and acknowledge it. But I don't approve of what he's done, but I still accept him. Do you, do you see the difference there? In covenantal love, we're fully accepted by God through Jesus. But that doesn't mean he approves of everything that we do. But in his love for us, he wants to walk with us and journey with us, not to live in a place of condemnation, but to allow conviction to bring change through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the beauty of the new covenant. And we're going to see that more so next week. Because in Christ, in Christ, I think this is so important for us to know, when Christ came, for us. He didn't come to make a contract, but a covenant. Just like with my son and my wife, I don't have contracts with them. I have a covenant with them. And if I have a covenant of love for them, how much more does Jesus have covenant of love for you? How much more? And I want you to be thinking about those questions this week, about how, again, you view covenant of love. Do you, do you think you need to, to perform you know, and measure up in order to receive his love. Well, you think he's going to love you more or less? You know, and how does, how does that play out? And why is it that way in your life? And, and how could you, how could you bring awareness to this covenant of love, especially on a day like Valentine's Day? Let's pray together. Father, right now, we thank you for your great love for us. We are so thankful for your goodness. And Jesus, we are just so thankful for what it is you've done, the covenant of love that you give us not a contractual love, but a covenantal love. And Jesus, we just pray that today we would receive that, Lord. I pray that today we would even just start to examine why we, we think you're going to love us less or more based on how we perform. Lord, help us to understand and to have awareness to the covenantal love that you have for us. Bring to our mind and recollection 
ways in which we've seen your love demonstrated fully to us, perfectly and completely. And then, Lord, I just pray for anyone who's here today who's not a follower of you. I pray that today, as they hear about covenantal love, that they would put their trust and faith in you, Jesus, to receive this love that you have made available to them through yourself. We're so, so grateful for the opportunity to lift up your name, to understand more fully who you are and what it is that you've come to accomplish on our behalf. We love you, Jesus, and we just thank you again for the covenant of love that you've established for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.